Greetings in Jesus' name, and I welcome each and every one of you to this portion of the service here today. Uh, it's a blessing to have each and every one of you here with us as we, as we worship together. And that is my heart's cry, is that today can be a day of worship, that today can be a day of praising our Lord and Savior. So I, I thank you for, for coming and joining us, and um, it's been a blessing to be here already. This morning, I have chosen to preach from the book of Jonah. So you can turn to the book of Jonah if you cho so choose. Uh, Jonah is one of the prophets that has always, uh, I don't know if intrigued is the right word or encouraged or, um, I'm not sure, but I've always really enjoyed the story of Jonah. And I understand that you're probably here saying we all know the story. We, that is probably one of the first stories we tell our children, or one of the early stories, or one of them that maybe sticks with them. And a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, Jonah, for one, disobedience, because most times that is something we are attempting to teach our children. And then secondly, because of the big fish. And it intrigues children. It's kind of a cool story, and it's kind of an amazing story, and, uh, and all that in amongst it. But today I'd like to look at the book of Jonah and uh, see if we can draw a few lessons from it. I do believe that even if we know the story thoroughly, uh, there are lessons in there that we can learn. There is so much in the book of Jonah, when I study it, it just absolutely amazes me the parallels and the things we can take from it. Jonah 793 to 753 BC. Uh, he falls in, in the line of prophets between, the, between Joel and Amos. Uh, he was a prophet when Jeroboam II was king. Uh, he went to Nineveh around 785 B.C. And as I mentioned, there is lots and lots to learn from Jonah. I, uh, one thing I'd like us to think about as, as I share today is God's grace and following what God has called us to. Um, one other, my three points, I guess, God's grace, following God's call, and our love for all mankind. And we'll see how far we get in the book of Jonah today, and we'll, we'll go from there. But I think God's grace is something that really stuck out to me this time, um, just because grace is something that each one of us need, because none of us, are good enough for salvation without God's grace. I understand that we have to live too, but God's grace is the only reason we can be saved. And I believe grace asks us to accept two things that sometimes we really don't want to. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. If God doesn't save us, we will never be saved. And why I bring them up, and I understand you have to accept the plan of salvation. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So in a sense, you do something when you accept that plan of salvation. But in and of itself, there's nothing you can do to eternally save yourself. You can't give enough. You can't live righteous enough. You can't just on your own power be kind enough. To, to, get, to be saved into heaven. So I want us to think about them two things. I find it intriguing, and before I get started, in Jonah 2.9, he says, Salvation is of the Lord. 
And only by God's grace we are saved. And we have to accept that gift. And I find it so intriguing because Jonah got it when he was sitting in the belly of a whale. And that statement is so very, very true. That salvation is of the Lord. And it amazes me that that statement may come from one of the worst missionaries that ever lived. He even got it. It just took a little coaxing. I'm not going to say he's the worst missionary that through, as we all know, but he distinctly had other plans. And that's what I'd like to look at today. Um, came across this little quote or three quotes by, by Alan Kitcher. At the beginning, he was running from God. At the end, he was arguing with God. And in between, he was praying and preaching. And that really intrigued me. Because we like to get hard on, on Jonah. I know I often thought when I was young that if God just told me what he wanted me to do, I would do it. But sometimes I can't figure out what he wants me to do. If he just told me where to go, I would go. And I think, well, God did. He told Jonah. And then he up and didn't listen. But the truth of the matter is, God has told each of one of us what to do and how to live. And unfortunately, I'd like to put ourselves a little bit into Jonah's shoes. I'm going to read the first three verses of Jonah and as we get started here. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop right there. And the reason I'm going to stop is because that is God's call for Jonah. And I'd like to, to look at it a little bit. Now, no, now, Nineveh, and as I just mentioned, I want to I lay out a little bit of a backdrop here because sometimes I, I think, well, Jonah, God directly told you what to do, and you didn't listen one bit. I mean, I never do that, right? But here's the deal, and this is somewhat uh, from studies and also from the book of uh, Nahum talks about Nineveh. It was a wicked, wicked city. My understanding is Jonah probably hated the Syrians and was scared of them both. They conspired against God, cruelty, idolatry, witchcraft. They would torture people. They didn't just kill you, they tortured you. One story is they would bury you in the sand and then let you starve to death or wild animals come and eat you. They wouldn't kill you. So this is where God told him to go. So we know that uh, Jonah decided, I ain't, I ain't doing that one. So I'm going to take off and go to Tarshish in the opposite direction. And it really has intrigued me that he took the effort to run from God's presence. Something we know we cannot do. God's presence is everywhere. But in a nutshell, when we decide that we're not going to do what God wants us to do, we're kind of doing the same thing he did. We say, well, we're going to go do this instead. We're going to go over here. We're not going to maybe directly run. Maybe we just aren't going to listen quite as directly as Jonah. Jonah didn't listen at all. 
The problem was when Jonah ran and God said, go to Nineveh, the wickedest of the wicked. They were the biggest, the best city of the Assyrian army, and they were scared spitless of the Assyrians. The problem with Jonah, in my opinion, one of them was he had lived, if I understand it right, at that time in Israel, it was a very prosperous time. So he had become very accustomed to good times. So he was the prophet in Israel at that time, and things were going well. And now God throws him a curveball. And Jonah was more interested in protecting his little kingdom and his prosperity and how good things were going than he was in expanding God's. And I think when I thought about that is when I realized that unfortunately in my life, I'm a lot like Jonah. Too many times, I am more interested in expand, or just keeping my little kingdom, whatever it is, wherever we're at, my comfort zone, than I am about getting dirty enough to expand God's. So on that thought, we all have a comfort zone. I don't know where each one of yours is exactly, but every single one of us has a comfort zone somewhere. So when things are going good, it's fairly easy to serve the Lord. But today I'm going to ask you, what is your Nineveh? What is your Nineveh? Not the person beside you's Nineveh. What is yours? What takes you out of that comfort zone? What takes you to somewhere where you say, God, I'm not good at that. I, I can't do that. See, that, that is not in my repertoire. You've given me the gift to do this. And I'm pretty good at it. And I'm comfortable with it. And I'm at ease with it. And life's going good. That's what I'm going to do for you, God. What is your Nineveh? Your Nineveh could be as big as being a country in Africa. If I can say big and small. Or as small as your child's heart. And truthfully, they're both big. Your Nineveh could be laying down your own wants, needs, and desires for the sake of a child. Where God calls you and you don't want to go is your Nineveh. There might be danger, might be discomfort, might be someone that has hurt you. Maybe someone that has just repeatedly made it hard for you in life. And God says, go give them my message of love. Maybe something you're just so uncomfortable with, you just, you just about can't talk when you get there. God says, go. Go give them my message of love. Unfortunately, and this is where I'd like us to think about Jonah. Because maybe we don't physically run away from that task. But sometimes we almost board the boat. Or we say, we'll do that once I'm a little bit more comfortable, God, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that once down the road. Give me some time to grow up. In essence, that's running too. God has a plan for each one of us. He has placed us here for a purpose. One thing I... 
I thought about when I was studying is Phil Stalsus had meetings here a while back, and one of the comments he made is he said, as a church or as a community, as a family, as a person, if you do not have rivers of life flowing out, if you are not helping those around you, if you are not affecting somebody else, helping them along in the road of life, then you become a dead sea. And I fear that is where the Church of America comes to too many times. We want to come to church. We want a good service. We want you know, Marvin to lead a great song, and we feel good about life, and we go on our way. But God is asking us to glorify him and to serve him and, and to go to Nineveh, whatever that may be in your life. And tell them about him. Requires us to live unselfishly. Who are you living for? Yourself or God's plans? And in the story of Jonah, we know that he lived for himself for quite a while. Moving on to the next section there. And I'm not going to take the time to read this whole story. I know that you guys know it. You can, you can follow with me as we go through here. But in verse 10, it says the men were very afraid. And, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. So, so they're out on the sea, and uh, God caused a great storm. And then it says the men were, great af- were, were greatly afraid. I'd like us to think about this. This is not me on a sea. You know, if I'm out on the ocean or on any, actually, truthfully, I'll be honest with you, any little body of water, and there comes a little wave, and my boat goes like this, I'm done. I'm headed to something solid. I wasn't made for the water, you know. These men, this is what they did. They were sailors. And they became afraid. So God caused the storm. These men became afraid. They cast lots. We know the story. They went down and they found Jonah in the bottom of that boat. And Jonah says, well, throw me over. I know I went through that fairly fastly. But what I'd like us to focus on this morning is Jonah says, throw me over. And they said, no, no, we can't do that. I mean, this is our job to transport people. How good on our resume is this going to look? We threw everybody's stuff out. We threw one dude into the ocean. Come sail with us. Yeah, good luck. Ruin your business right there. But amazingly, it came down to that. And in verse 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. See, what amazes me is even in Jonah's disobedience, God was honored. It says these men feared the Lord once this calm, the sea became calm again, and they understood that this is a God to be feared and reverenced. Even though Jonah did exactly opposite of what God told him to do. See, God wants us to be part of the plan. God wants us to follow through and be part of his plan in life. But if you think God's plan depends on your faithfulness, if you think your unfaithfulness leaves God in a bind, you're wrong. Because God even uses disobedience to accomplish his will. See, it is our job to get on board with God. God's work will get done. Are you going to be part of it? Are you going to be part of God's plan and his work in this world? And as we know, Jonah, 
then a, a fish came along, and then Jonah later went on to Nineveh. But I'd like to ask us a few questions about the storm. It says God caused a storm. Now, I'm not here to tell you that everything that causes a little rift in your life, you better look behind the bush because somewhere I messed up. That's why it is. I don't, I don't believe that. But what I do believe is God does place things in our life for specific purposes to make us realize who God is. God causes things to happen to get our attention. What does it take for you? See, God called Jonah first. And he said, do this. And Jonah said, uh-uh, I'm going the other way. God said, all right, here you go, here's another storm. What is a storm in your life? If I can use that as a parallel more than a storm. What is the storm in your life? What, is, what does it take for God to wake you up? I believe each one of us have areas of our life as we walk this road and journey together that, that need to reflect back on what we are doing for God. That can be a teeny little thing. It can be a sermon. It can be a service. It can be a song. It can be all kinds of things. But what is your storm? What is God trying to teach you? Are you really following his plan? And the next question I've got is in verse 12. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm. Hmm. So I've got a question for you. When God sends something your way and makes you think, are you willing to look in the mirror and say, it's me. Throw me overboard. Probably none of us will be faced with quite that dilemma in the sea, if I can say that. Most likely not. But whatever that is getting our attention, whatever God is trying to work in our life, whatever that storm is, what does it make us to wake up and say, right, here's the problem. Throw me overboard, in a sense. Because until we come to the place where Jonah was or is, was right there in his life, we will just continue to rock in the storm. Until we fall before our Lord and Savior and say, it is my fault. It is my problem. I have to get on board with God. The storm's not going to cease. You can say, well, I'm just going to muck through it. I'm going to become better at this. I'm going to do better at that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. It's going to go on until we fall at the knees of our Lord and Savior. Say, God, I need you, and I'm the problem. It really intrigued me this time as I studied Jonah, how Jonah said, pick me and throw me over, and this will change. Because he knew in his heart what he was doing. He knew that he was running from God. How many of you think that Jonah really fully expected when they tossed him over hands and feet, that there was going to be a fish that would take care of him? Or did he really feel like that was the end of the road for him? I would guess that Jonah thought that was it. But he knew the truth of what he was dealing with. Now well, here comes God's grace. And God showed grace and uh, provided grace for, for Jonah. And it says in 17, Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So a massive storm that was going to destroy everything... Jonah coming to the end of his wits and saying, all right, God, throw me over. I will, uh, this is my problem. 
followed with God's grace in a great fish. See, it's the plan of salvation in a nutshell. We have to come to the end of our rope, say, God, I need you. And God's grace comes along to help us if we're sincere with our Lord and Savior. Now, he sat in his belly of the fish for three days. And I think God got his attention for real for a while. I have a hunch at this point, Jonah was feeling like an absolute failure. And as I was, was studying, I, I found uh, a little clip, I guess, by Rick Cardell. And it said, Sue Kidd was telling the story of Jonah to her vacation Bible school class of six-year-olds. The children started talking about how they would try to escape if they were swallowed like Jonah. One of them said, I'd start a fire in the whale's stomach and he'd cough me out. Another said, I'd stomp on his tongue until he spit me out. The ideas got wilder and wilder by the minute, but then one thoughtful little girl spoke up and said, I'd call my daddy and wait till he got me out. And that intrigued me because Jonah, I don't know when he started praying. Maybe the moment he hit the water, maybe when he was sitting there for a day and a half, two days, but he ended up calling out to his heavenly father. And he ended up praying to God. And after his prayer, and I'm not going to take the time to read it, I realize the clock is moving, but after his prayer to his father, his heavenly father, the same place we must come to in the storms of life, the only sure foundation is Jesus Christ. So then in verse 10, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. And we know that story so well. So the fish spit him up. But in your life, what is the storm? And sometimes we feel like an utter failure. We're like, we, we just can't do this. We failed here. We failed there. We fail. We fail. We fail. What good are we? I'm here to tell you, if you call out to your Heavenly Father, He will restore you, bless you, and use you. If you yield to Him and go with His plan for your life. See, God's patience, the patience of God that allows us to run, the wisdom of God that provides the ship, the providence of God that sends the storm, and the kindness of God that sends the great fish. This, didn't, this happened many, many years ago. But that same God that cared enough about Jonah and doing exactly opposite of what he told him to do has the same care for you today. If God didn't care, he'd just let him go. He said, sink or swim, buddy. Hope you can swim well. That's the end of the road. I do believe if we have came to the point in our life that the storm has got us to our knees, and we have called out to our Heavenly Father that God will provide a way. It may not be a fish to help us understand, but a kind, loving individual. So I'd like to ask you a question. Are you one of them individuals to lend that helping hand? God doesn't always use a fish and swallow you up and spit you out somewhere else to get your attention, but he may use somebody to come by and lend a helping hand. Are you that helping hand? Are we still running from God? Are we in that storm? Or where are you at in this story? I'd like to read a story in closing 
about a young man many, many, many years ago and how he lended a helping hand. If anyone ever had a reason to be bitter and hateful, it was Squanto. But he, was given his li- he had given his life to Christ. And when the Mayflower arrived, Squanto went to them, shocked the pilgrims by greeting them in English. His help was priceless. He had became a special instrument of God. Squanto did. And if I understand the way this story goes, he actually, in 1620, he was... Uh, No, let me back up. More than a decade before 1620, when the Pilgrims arrived, a group of English traders had also sailed to Plymouth, Massachusetts. Some trusting Indians came out to trade. They were taken prisoners and sold as slaves in Spain. He was one of those boys that was sold into slavery. His owner treated him well and led him to faith in Christ. Eventually made his way to England and worked in the stables of a man named John Stanley. Mr. Stanley promised to put, to put Swanto, Squanto on the first trip bound for America. So ten years after he was kidnapped, he was allowed to go home. When he arrived back in Massachusetts, he was met by more heartbreak because an epidemic had wiped out his village. But through being sold into slavery coming back home, realizing that his village was destroyed because of Jesus Christ, he still went out, met the new pilgrims, and helped them with life. It says he uh, taught them how to raise corn and everything else, and he gave his possessions back to them. If there was bitterness in his heart, he sure didn't show it. So my question for you today is, are we willing, no matter what has came, to fall on our knees and be used by God, lend a helping hand, or are we just going to sit here and say we've failed? May God bless you.